It is a complete honor and privilege to be able to stand in Estes Chapel and to offer my testimony. I hope to come back someday and preach, but today I'm just sharing what God has done in my life. Um, I have heard about Asbury for years. I have been jealous of my friends who were able to come to Asbury and receive the quality of education that Asbury offers. You know, if you look at the list of the uh, 100 largest churches, uh, most of them uh, in the Methodist faith, most of them are pastored by Asbury graduates. And um, I am thankful for this institution and for all that it has done for Methodism and for Wesleyans across uh, the pan-Methodist um, sphere. And when Jessica invited me to come, um, I was just beyond humbled and honored to be able to come and speak. And I also want you to realize that God is doing something here. I'm forever telling our pastors and our lady in the MedTexas conference, the Holy Spirit is doing this mighty work. There's I know we want to shy away from the word awakening sometimes, but there is this, this undercurrent of, of God raising people up. It is springing, springing up from the ground. It's not something that's being contrived by an institution. This is, this is something that God is raising up. And, and I can tell you, um, as a worshiper, I can like tune out the world and just worship, but never on a platform have I been able to tune out the world and then go, oh, wait, you're on stage. Stop, Leah. Um, and I was able to do that here today, and I know for sure that I stand on holy ground. So um, would you join me in just a prayer of illumination as we go to the Lord? Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for all that you are already doing in this place, the ways in which hearts are being stirred and, and you are speaking to people. I thank you, Lord God, for each student on this campus and the people they will lead to Christ and the churches they will build and the way they will shape your kingdom here on earth. Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord God, be a blessing to you, and may they all um, be what you would have us to believe, what you would have us to hear, Lord. May it be pleasing to you, for Lord God, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So, um, I don't know about your board of ministries, but when I was going through the board of ministry in the Central Texas Conference of the United Methodist Church, one of the questions that they often ask us was, what biblical story aligns with your story? And I would always say, and I would get these looks of horror, the woman at the well. I am the woman at the well. I haven't been married five times, but I do know the pain of divorce, and I do know the brokenness that can come from that. I do know what it means to run from everyone and not want to be in the circles that I once traveled in, and for God to come and to find me and to redeem me in my brokenness. And I know what it's like to overcome that which the world says you cannot overcome. And have Christ say, you are more than enough in me. And for me to get so excited, I can't shut up about Jesus. If that is not the woman in the well, I don't know what is. So let me take you back. I was 27 years old. That was a really long time ago, okay? Um, I was 27 years old. I worked for a career development firm in Dallas, Texas. 
I had just made manager. And one of my very first jobs as a manager was to interview new career consultants. And so I have this woman come in, and I'm interviewing her, and I'm getting to know her, and she freely offers to me that she is in the midst of a divorce. And then later on, she offers up that she has an 18-month-old baby. Well, at this point, I am a preacher's wife. I am involved in all kinds of things in the church. I am the picture-perfect preacher's wife, okay? Um, I, I baked goodies. I taught Sunday school. I was involved in the UMW, even though I was 50 years younger than the, the next person in UMW. I was there, and I, I was part of the church, and I love being a preacher's wife so much. But when this woman shared with me her story that she was divorced and had an 18-month-old baby, this self-righteous Pharisee thought to herself, I didn't say it, thought to herself, you didn't know two and a half years ago that your marriage was in trouble and that you were going to get a divorce? And I mean, I was just like appalled that this could even happen to somebody. I had a, I had a one and a half year old myself at that point and, and I just kept thinking, how is that, how is that even possible that, that you didn't know your marriage was in trouble? You see, the woman at the well, she wasn't always the woman at the well. There was a time where she was married to that first husband when she walked to the well with all the other women. She knew about the conversations that happened as they walked to the well. She knew what they said about women like her now. A few months later, not even that long, my husband, who had been a United Methodist pastor for nine years at that point, came home and he said, we need to clear the air about something. And, and I'm telling y'all, I was oblivious. I had no idea anything was going on in my life. Uh, we had, at that point, a two-year-old, and I had just learned I was pregnant, and I, had a, I was 12 weeks pregnant, and it was Christmas, and we were about to share with our family uh, at Christmas time that we were expecting a, a, a new baby, and, and I was, like, delighted. And I remember to this day, looking at the TV, we had one of those console TVs. Y'all probably are, none of y'all are old enough to remember a console TV. It had a console TV, and above it was this Roman numeral clock, and at five after five on December 2nd, 1999, he comes in and he sits beside me and he holds my hand. And he says, I have had a realization. I'm gay. And I no longer want the life we have built. I remember thinking, well, you may not, but I do. And you're a pastor, and you're just graduated seminary, and how is this possible? How did this happen to me? And I'm 12 weeks pregnant, and you remember the conversation I'd had with myself just a few months before. I became the woman at the well. Let me tell you, my, my kids, they, they went to, to preschool in that church. And it was a, a, a long time coming for us to, to file for divorce because while he didn't want the life, I did. And so I made that man go to counseling for 10 months. Nobody in my family had ever been divorced on either side. And I certainly was not about to be the first one. We went to counseling 
time and time again, word began to spread throughout the congregation. It was a large church that we were having problems, that we weren't living together, even though I was pregnant. And um, I had a, a, a sweet little old lady that uh, was sort of a grandmother figure to me, and, and she was in UMW with me. And she came to me, and she said, um, Leah, I just I want you to know that even if the baby is not your husband's, I want you to know your, your, your marriage can survive this. To which I said, um, I'm not sure about a lot of things in my life right now, but there's one thing I am sure of, and that's who's the father of my baby. There were other times that people we had played dominoes with or cards with, because you know when you're in seminary, you're poor. Y'all may not know that, but we were poor. <laughs> And so there was nothing better than Tony's Pizza and playing dominoes on a Saturday night. That's just what you did, right? And um, the people I'd play dominoes with, they would see me in the mall or the grocery store, and they knew we were having problems, and they, they didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. And they would turn, and they would go the other way. And I felt shunned. I didn't want to cause anybody to fall, so I would not tell anybody what was going on or why we were going through the troubles that we were going through in our marriage because I didn't want to cause anybody to stumble in their faith, in their belief in their pastor, which might lead to their belief in Christ. So the whole time, everybody thought it was me, or at least I thought they thought it was me. I was broken. This super Pharisee, can I just confess, super Pharisee, um, was broken. And it was in that moment that Christ was able to do the greatest work. I began attending another church because I determined that it was just too painful to continue to worship um, where my husband served. And, and a friend of mine uh, was the pastor there, and she pastored a small church in East Dallas, and uh, just the sweetest congregation. And in this congregation was sort of a group of misfits. Uh, you had families with kids, but then you also had gay couples. And then you also had drug addicts that were trying to find their way out. And you had uh, students from SMU that was attending it. And it was just this beautiful group of people where you could just come and be broken. And just be and nobody knew who I was. I wasn't someone's wife. I was just the woman who brought the two little bitty kids to the nursery and left them because she needed an hour, just one hour. <laughs> God bless the women who take care of the nursery, can I just tell you, because some mamas just need an hour. But I would sit on the back pew and I would weep every week. I would cry and I would weep at the brokenness of my life because it had gone from here like I was, I was somebody. I had, I had been a pastor's wife and I was so in love with that life. And if I didn't mention that, I was raised in a parsonage. And so like I, this, I had aspired to do this and all of a sudden I was a pastor's wife without a pastor. And, and so my, my whole identity, not to mention my marriage, it was gone. One day I came down for communion, and as I came down for communion, I just, I was ugly crying. I was sobbing, and, and when I got up, I, I was like, there is no way this looks good, and I am so embarrassed, and so I headed for the back door, and I bolted out the back door, and I just sat on the steps. My plan had been to go and get the girls out of the nursery and just leave, because I had cried so hard. 
But then I decided I was going to scare my oldest daughter if I went this upset. So I, I decided I needed to sit on the steps. And this woman comes out. And she looked at me and she says, are you okay? And I said, I am not okay. And I will never be okay. And she said, we're here for you. And I said, all I do is come to church and cry. And she says, what a better place to come and cry than to the house of the Lord. Well, I just continued to come. You know, I might not have ever gone back if she hadn't have come out and offered me those words of grace. But she did, and so I continued to come. And, and finally, I went in to see my pastor friend, and she was a single woman. And I said, okay, look, I'm a pastor's wife. I was called to be a pastor's wife. You're a single woman. There is surely something in this church that I could do that would help you in your ministry. I said, I can do bulletins. I can do this. I can do that. I'll bake goodies. Tell me what you need, and I will do it. And without much conversation she just looked at me and she says I don't think you're called to be a pastor's wife and she just left it at that I was like no no trust me I'm good at it I am called to be a pastor's wife (laughs) she says I'll get you plugged into a Sunday school class you go teach Sunday school Um, she says just be a really active lay person for a while so I began teaching an adult's single parent Sunday school class, mostly because I needed to learn how to be a single parent. And we were all kind of there learning together. One day I come back to the communion rail again and I am just in tears and I am crying. And she says, is everything okay with the divorce? And I said, it's final, it's all good. And she said, why are you crying? And I said, because I'm supposed to be doing what you're doing and I can't. Because I'm divorced. And she says, oh, I know you're supposed to be doing what I'm doing. You could have told me that six months ago. She says, come see me tomorrow. And I went and I met with her and I began the journey. Let me tell you about this church of misfits. Time and time again, there was so much love and so much grace in this place that you, you just could not help but experience Christ and the Holy Spirit. And it didn't matter your brokenness and it didn't matter what your sin was. You were going to be loved into relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is who we are called as the church to be. Not to the super Pharisee that says, three years ago, did you not know you were having trouble in your marriage? That's not the church the world needs. The church, the world needs a church where women and men can come to the altar broken and in tears and can lay it all out for the Lord. You know, I think about the woman at the well. She didn't leave early in the morning. She didn't come in the mornings with the other women because she knew they would be talking about her if she did. How many people do not come to our churches because they know what people are saying or what people are thinking? How can people's hearts and lives be transformed? How can they know the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ if they are not met with love and with acceptance? That their brokenness isn't greater than ours. Their sin somehow doesn't count more than our sin.
If you look at today's scripture, you'll see that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Okay, y'all are seminary students, right? You've surely studied this. You know he didn't have to go, right? Like I can tell you all about the topographical, about how he actually walked uphill when he could have walked along the, the, the riverbank and it would have been a lot easier and he didn't really need to go to Samaria because why would a Jewish man go to Samaria when he could have avoided that? But that's not what John writes, is it? John writes, he had to go. Let me just tell you, we serve a God that has to come to us wherever we're at. We serve a God that no matter where we run to, no matter how far we try to get away from God, He has to come to us. It is the nature of God to be present for us. Jesus looks at the woman at the well and, and says, give me a drink. And she says, why are you asking of me, a Samaritan? I am not worthy. Why would you as a Jewish person even be talking to me? And Jesus looks at her with this ridiculous grace. And he says to her, if you knew who was asking you, you would know that I can offer you living water. That's what I found. I found living water. He said, go find your husband and bring him. And she says, I don't have a husband. And this is where the hard truth comes in, right? So, you know, Torn Wells, he has this great song, Hard Truth and Ridiculous Grace. This is that story, okay? Jesus says, you're right. You don't. You don't have a husband. As a matter of fact, you've been married five times, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. But I'm the Messiah. Anybody know numerology? Five husbands, one not. But in Christ, there is perfection. Mm, yeah. All the things she had gotten wrong in her life, she could now get right in Christ. He was telling her, your righteousness is not enough, but that you have heard it said that the Messiah is coming, and I am he. And she goes, and she begins to preach and to teach the people of Samaria about this man that she's come to know and do you remember what the Bible says? The whole town came to know Christ. They came out to meet him and to, and to see him because of the testimony of one woman who had been so ashamed she couldn't go to the well at the same time as the other women. And all of a sudden they were listening to her because she had been transformed by the God, by the Messiah. About three years ago, I, I began having just tremendous dizzy spells. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. Um, I would wake up in the morning, and like the room would be spinning. And so I went to the doctor, and for about a year, they treated me for vertigo. And, and then they said, yeah, no, we don't think it's vertigo. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's not. Over the years, we've tested all kinds of things. And, and what it's come out is that I have vestibular migraines. But there's no pain associated with it. Um, I just have flashes of, 
of light and, and the world gets a little distorted on me. And so they have sent me to physical therapy for vestibular migraines. And one of the things that my physical therapist has spent six weeks with me on is on the things that I avoid. So like, I will not dry my hair by bending over because when I flip my head up, the whole world spins. And I will not sit on the floor because when I try to get up, it's, it's, it's crazy again. Um, I will not walk on grass because it's, it's really tough for me to see the difference in grass. Hard surfaces, I'm good, but grass I struggle with. And there's all these things that I'm constantly avoiding because of my brokenness. And my therapist says, we have to strengthen your vestibular muscles, so to speak. We've got to retrain your vestibular so that you're not afraid to do those things anymore. Because otherwise your world, it just continues to get smaller, right? And we don't want your world to continue to get smaller. You're too young to have your, and I, was, I loved it when my 30-something therapist said I was too young for my world to continue to get smaller. And she said, so we want to open these up. And so she started giving me these exercises and these things to do. I want you to hear me say, sin makes our worlds smaller. Sin makes our worlds smaller. The woman at the well, she lived a very small life, a small existence. No friends, coming just to get a drink of water from Jacob's well in the heat of the day, not thinking she was worthy to have a conversation with anyone, much less a Jewish man. We do that ourselves too, don't we? We all have this brokenness in us. We all have a, 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 a fallen nature that leans far too often toward the sinful side and not enough where we turn to Christ and we start making accommodations. Maybe we don't want to feel that guilt so we don't go to small group. Or maybe we don't want to lean into our band. Or maybe we don't even want to belong to a band. Or maybe we just don't want to go to worship. Or if we go to worship, we kind of shut out the part where God can get into our hearts. Sin makes our lives smaller. We make accommodations so that we don't have to allow Christ in. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as they make their way up, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I want you to think about the ways in which your life has gotten smaller because of the brokenness. The things you don't want God to know about, but let me tell you, God already knows because you are fully known and you are covered by ridiculous grace. But you've got to own up to the truth of that in your life. I want you to think about the accommodations you're making and I want you to be willing to lay those down so that God can do a new work in your life and can open your life up to where you cannot help but to shout his glory to each person. And you might live a life wide open by God's grace. 
If you'd like to come forward to pray, I would love to pray with you. If you want to come and just kneel on your own, you can. But if you'd like someone to pray, I encourage you to reach your hands up or reach your hands out as you come forward, and someone will come and pray with you. Would you join us as we sing? Thank you.